0: So, a traditional Jewish, Christian, and Muslim.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: <laughs> and welcome to the Holy Watermelon Podcast.
1: My name is Katie.
0: <laughs> I'm Preston.
1: And what are we talking about today? We have a new series. Happy New Year. Happy, Happy new, new Year. 2021. <laughs> Let's hope it's better for everyone than. 2020.
0: 2020
1: was. <laughs> um, we have a new series, I guess. Series? Mini series starting? I guess. Let's we're, talk about what we're doing.
0: We're going to take a dive, uh, not a super deep dive, because there's an awful lot of depth to every religion, but we're going to take a reasonably deep dive into the biggest of the world religions, and then maybe we'll take a look at some of the smaller ones later, too. So we're going to start with Judaism.
1: Cool. So, today, yeah, today we're talking about. Today, because it's the first chronologically in the Abrahamic faiths, religion. Faith,
0: yeah.
1: So it seems like a good place to start.
0: Yeah. It's like most religions. It's kind of tricky. It's not monolithic. There's not a pope who's in charge of all of the Jews, for example. But there's one unifying detail that they all adhere to to some degree or another, to the Hebrew Bible and the Jewish tradition of the good old Holy Land.
1: So, let's start with how it started. Some of the, I guess, I guess it starts with Exodus, and maybe you want to talk about this briefly, in brief, the story of Exodus and... I don't know what you know about who wrote that story down.
0: (laughs) I don't think anybody knows who wrote that story down. There's an awful lot of people who genuinely believe that Moses wrote all five of the books ascribed to him in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. But there's also a handful of clues in there that say that it was written much later. That's not to say that Moses couldn't have written down some of it. But there's not a whole lot of evidence for that either. It's a large collection of books. The the Exodus, which is probably the the second most read of the five books of Moses because nobody reads Leviticus or Deuteronomy or Numbers. The names are intimidating and the content is incredibly dry. Uh, But Exodus is the exciting story of Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt. And, of course, Genesis tells the story of how the nation, the people of Israel, came to be. So those two books get an awful lot of credit, and the other three are forgotten. And so the Exodus, the the foundational story of who Israelites are as a, a freed people, is hugely important to their identity. It's about Moses being born into slavery, and then... Being thrown into a river in a handy dandy boat so he doesn't drown and sink, which is super important if you want a nation to survive.
1: <laughs> you can buy it's, Moses baskets for your kids. They're called Moses baskets. Of course. I don't know what <laughs> convenience they are. They're not.
0: I, I don't recommend trying to use them in that way. Uh, though I haven't no, looked at I, them to I, see I don't if mean they do no it. But
1: you, why would you carry your kid like that?
0: I don't know. It's kind of weird, especially.
1: Like, They're not safe like a car seat. They're right. not comfortable like a bassinet. I don't know why you would want one. <laughs> but there you go. Fun fact of the world, you can buy a Moses basket for your baby.
0: Yeah. And so the, the story that we have in Exodus of that transference from one family to another is reminiscent a lot of the story of Noah and the Ark. Uh, one of the stories probably influenced the way the other was told at least a little bit because storytelling just is subject to that feature. And then Moses grows up in the royal court in Egypt. And at age 40, after probably having been married and initiated into the Egyptian cults and whatnot, he kills a dude for being super rude to some Israelite slaves and realizes, oh, crap, this is a crime. Because they actually had decent laws protecting their slaves. But also, you can't kill another Egyptian, especially when he's not a slave.
1: <laughs> I mean, that yeah. rule still applies, I think.
0: I think mostly. I mean, the world's getting weirder, but <laughs> generally... Don't kill Egyptians. Yeah, or, or, or your own countrymen. Um, or in Canada, if you kill a foreign national, about half of our country is probably going to cheer you on. Things are kind of weird. But a Canadian citizen... Is a big no no for the murder in Canada. So Moses flees off into the wilderness at age 40, leaving his family behind. He most certainly had wife and children at that age. Being a prince in the royal court at 40 and single would have been unheard of. And takes off, finds his new family. Oh. Uh, a Midianite priest uh, offers his daughter to be Moses' new wife, and Moses starts a new family, lives with them for 40 years. Did he leave for a pack of smokes
1: (laughs) and never come back?
0: (laughs) I don't think he had time to give the pack of smokes excuse Uh, to the kids. uh, (laughs) He just disappeared. Of course, I mean, he could have been on literally any errand when he was catching this Egyptian beating a Hebrew in the streets, and yeah. Any excuse could have been given at that time, I guess. And then after 40 years in the desert with this Midianite family, Midianites are also descendants of Abraham. So they're like cousin-ish. Because we're not really very many many generations from Abraham with Moses himself. So reasonably distant cousin, but close enough that you totally would have shown up to the same family reunion if that was a thing. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, a 3,000-year-old family read. <laughs> Love it. They're probably right. older, 4,000.
0: How long? This is about 3,000 3, years ago. Well, three and a half, maybe. Okay. I mean, archaeology is kind of rough on this one, on the, the exact dating of it. And so at age 80, Moses is, like, just doing his business, taking care of the flocks. Also, his father-in-law is still around, so... That's kind of cool. People have to be really old in these Bible stories. Right. Honestly, the number 80, it's kind of sketchy. like 30. I mean, we don't know for sure. They say he was 40 when he left Egypt. He probably wasn't younger than 30 to get a number like 40. But we keep stacking 40 years and 40 years and 40 years for Moses. It's kind of suspect, but I mean...
1: We're, we straight up don't know. This, I, this might be a completely... Were we still tracking time like we do now? Yeah, pretty much. So there are still 12 months in a year and 30 days in a month and 24 hours in a day?
0: 24 hours in a day, I think, is a Babylonian thing, if I remember correctly.
1: Because I know we have
0: and 30 July months.
1: and August because of Julius and Augustus.
0: Yeah, the, the so Roman, when were those at? the Roman Three? calendar was 10 months for a long time. Yeah. Uh, The Israelites were pretty committed to a 12 month calendar that occasionally threw in a 13th month. Rather than a leap day like we have to adjust their calendar, they added just a whole month because every month you couldn't add a day. Yeah, it was kind of weird.
1: I'm just curious (laughs) if. That's why they got so old in the Bible is because the year was only six months.
0: They definitely would have had some serious problems with the harvest scheduling oh, and fair. the sacrifices that went with those if they shifted through the year too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the, the years were still more or less what years. Sometimes they were a little bit shorter. Sometimes they're a little longer to counteract the shorter ones. And so at 80, Moses dealing with the sheep sees this fire up in the, the mountain and it's like that, that bush is on fire. But as it gets closer, he realizes it's not burning away. The, the narrative there seems a little bit weird to me. Like fires happen. Maybe he was worried about a camper or somebody who was like squatting. I don't know. Either way, he goes up in the mountain sees this burning bush and then talks to God is the story. Wow. And then I is
1: okay.
0: I mean, there's not a whole lot of concrete proof to say that the, he was of sound mind at the time. In fact, oh, I can't remember the name of the movie. It's got Christian Bale as Moses. It's I'm Moses. It's <laughs> It's a reasonably enjoyable movie. Um God is portrayed by a child in the film and Moses looks like a crazy person about half of the time. I don't know if that's a directorial choice or an actor's choice. Christian Bale is a very talented actor.
1: But frequently looks crazy.
0: Absolutely.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm like going through his filmography in my mind and I'm like, I can't think of a time he acted like a normal human.
0: There were a few instances as Bruce Wayne in Batman Begins where he pulled off being a reasonably balanced playboy. (laughs) a couple of scenes.
1: <laughs> and I just feel like reasonably balanced and playboy <laughs> shouldn't go together, but
0: um, carry on. Yeah.
1: Burning bush, high a kite, talks to God.
0: Yeah. And God tells him, your people are slaves in Egypt and you need to free them. And Moses is like, no, nah, I can't do it. And God's like, don't worry, we're going to make this happen. Basically, forces Moses into this situation that he doesn't like. And then God Moses, wouldn't do
1: that. Right. He didn't do it to Abraham.
0: <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> or Jesus.
0: Yeah. God puts people in tough situations all the time. Oh. And to save a nation, why not? Okay. <laughs> so Moses goes back to Egypt, with the, meets up with his brother Aaron, who's a few years older than him and his older sister. And they show up to the pharaoh's court, Uh, presumably at this point, the pharaoh is his brother, his adopted brother, rather than his father. The prince of Egypt is doing a pretty good job of ingraining that tradition in people's minds. Mm. Decent movie. um, DreamWorks did some great work there. Yeah, so they went back to Egypt and they say, hey, let my people go. (laughs) (laughs) And eventually they do. After the pharaoh says, no, plagues, no, more plagues, no, more plagues, stop it, no, more plagues, worse plagues, eventually God just kills all the firstborn in Egypt. Probably not the whole kingdom, but, I mean, realistically, more likely a small isolated place, like the lower part of the capital city, maybe. There's loads of guesses on that one. We don't really know what the story is trying to communicate there, but an awful lot of the firstborn in Egypt are killed, including the Pharaoh's own son. And then he says, fine, go. And the Israelites hightail it out of Egypt, uh, taking loads of gold and jewelry and precious things with them. They leave very rich, which is a very bad thing for Egypt. And so the Pharaoh chases them, and as they cross the Reed Sea, the Pharaoh's army gets drowned out by the ocean.
1: Do you, I mean, I I don't think it needs explanation, but in my readings for this, that the Reed Sea becomes the Red Sea, which is what most people are familiar with. That wasn't a misspeak by Preston. That is, it was the Reed Sea.
0: So it's a tricky thing that Interesting. we know the story was telling about the crossing of the Reed Sea and the story shifted to the Red Sea, but they are actually two different, different. bodies of water. Interesting.
1: Was that for, does the Red Sea exist? Do we know where it is? Because like, we know it's, the Red it's Sea. It's
0: part exists. of the, um, the Nile Delta, if okay. I remember correctly. I was
1: just wondering for like archaeological proof. They're like, no, they meant red, <laughs> which is right here. It happened. I was wondering if that was the reason for the change, if they are two different bodies, which I didn't realize.
0: Yeah, it's... It's kind of a a weird thing that stories do over time as they change to become more awesome. The Reed Sea is... It's a decent bit of water, but it's not Not the the Red Red Sea. Sea.
1: (laughs) It doesn't show up on maps like the Red Sea
0: does. It won't be on your globe the way the Red Sea is. (laughs) (laughs) And so then the Israelites wander around in the desert for 40 years, Uh, If you check a map, you can see that you could make that walk in about two weeks. So the big question is, why did it take 40 years? Zigzagging. So much zigzagging, so much camping and avoiding going to the Holy Land for decades. So right after they leave Egypt, Moses sends out a couple of guys, Caleb and Joshua. Actually, his name wasn't even Joshua. His name was Hoshea. Moses changed his name to Yehoshua later. And there's loads of theological thoughts on that because that is approximately the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so he sends Caleb and Hosea off to go see the Holy Land and scout it out. Holy Land's not a huge place of land compared to Alberta, but it's not a small space. And there's also a bunch of other guys that go out with them. And all these other guys that don't get to be named because they suck lie about it and say these people are scary we don't stand a chance and caleb and hoshea say you know what we can do this and israel for the most part believes the greater number of witnesses and says we're not going so moses is like fine <laughs> we're just gonna wander around the wilderness for 40 years until 40 all of you are dead
1: years You can do it in two and a half weeks. It's just, man, I can't imagine.
0: They set up camp. They move camp a few times. They fight several battles with other nations over the course of those years. But they hole up on this land that they don't want, (laughs) waiting for everybody who wasn't ready to go to their destination to die. Wow, (laughs) Moses himself doesn't even actually get to the Holy Land. He gets to see it from a hill and that's it. (laughs) And Caleb and Joshua, as we know him now, uh, Hosea got that new name. They get to go into the Holy Land. The the book of Joshua is that direct sequel to the five books of Moses because he is the new leader put in place after Moses. And that's, basically the exodus. Joshua leads them conquering all the people who refuse to be good neighbors and destroying loads and loads of people. Uh, part, of, Some parts of the Bible say Joshua killed literally everybody who wasn't going to be faithful to the Israelite God. And then other parts are like, yeah, no, we left way too many unfaithful here. <laughs> uh, the Bible is a fun text there there's acclaims of they're so righteous having defeated all of the, the infidels and then these others just like yeah no we um we're in trouble because we left them alive
1: <laughs> the next biggest one i think of is king david and david and goliath i mean that's when he was a kid but he becomes king david
0: yeah israel at the time really wanted a king they thought hey our neighbors all have kings, and look how powerful they are. And the the chieftain at the time, uh, called a judge usually, uh, was like, "God is our king. You don't need a king. <laughs> God is your king. To call anyone else king is going to spell ruin for the nation." And they're like, "No, we want a king." And so Samuel, the the chieftain, uh, prays and gets direction to put in this fellow named Saul as the king of Israel. Better call Saul. Right? The problem is, it didn't work out. Oh, no. A little bit like Better call the lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> it just didn't really work oh, out. Too bad. And Saul was given all the opportunities to try and be good, but he just kept screwing up. And so he, Samuel, got this revelation that, no, don't. this is not a good king. But instead of, Saying to Saul, you can't be king anymore. He just goes over to this other little family over in the Bethlehem area. And he says to the the father of this family, Jesse, one of your sons is going to be king. Let me meet with them. And Jesse shows off his biggest, strongest sons, the eldest. And look how great they are. And Samuel's like, nah, they're not great. (laughs) And
1: <laughs> I really hope it says that in the Bible. They're not great. Eh. He,
0: he's, he gives fancier language about looking at the soul kind uh, of thing. Meh. And then he spots David and he's like, this one's special. This is the guy. And David later goes on to defeat uh, Goliath in combat in the weirdest way. Uh, challenging him the the best of the nation <laughs> against the best of the other nation and instead of a uh, duel with swords or clubs or anything else,
1: throws a rock at him
0: basically just throws a rock at him. It's
1: David a Hobbit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he was supposed to be pretty young but probably not hobbit sized. I would imagine he was at least sixteen at the time. so he would have been regular sized. <laughs> <laughs> regular size for his nation at the time
1: 3000 years ago yeah yeah okay
0: so there's that <laughs> and david also turns out to be a really not good king no he does all kinds of things he's not supposed to he
1: gets um, slutty with bathsheba
0: he does um he also has a serious problem with doing things he's specifically told not to do
1: mm, don't we all <laughs>
0: Uh, so in, in the royal court, there's always a prophet, a person who speaks for God to warn the king, hey, there's some pretty good reasons why you shouldn't do some of these things. One of those things is take an account of the nation for the purposes of building armies or al- alternatively counting the people to tax them even heavier because you feel like you deserve more money than you're getting. Problems for kings. David's like, we're going to count all the people. And And build
1: an army and tax them.
0: Yeah. And the prophet's like, if you do this, God will kill your nation. And then he's like, yeah, we're going to do it anyway. And then huge numbers of Israelites die all across the nation of some terrible plague
1: COVID 19.
0: Yeah, bad things. They they had no power to stop it. Medicine at the time definitely sucked, especially in their little pocket of the world. Um, and anytime you did have, say, leprosy, you would go to the priest, because your priests were the most educated. Just generally, if anyone could read, your priests could read. If anybody knew a lot about taking care of things other than sheep, it was probably the priests. So they were basically your doctors. Yeah. And... The, the guy who's got some sort of authority over all of the, the faithful in the nation just told you, don't do this thing. <laughs> so that sucks. Yeah, David just wasn't a great king. He wanted to build a temple. Israel had a very small portable temple, like a large tent by our standards today. And the, the prophet told David... Don't do it. It's okay if you collect all the stuff to do it, but your son will be the one to do it because you are not pious enough. Look at what you've been. So there's a whole lot of Psalms ascribed to David. Some people think that David himself wrote a lot of music that became the Psalms in the Hebrew Bible. There's a perfectly acceptable number of scholars who are 100% committed to the idea that there's, like we see today, Loads of people writing Psalms as though they were David. You know, writing from somebody else's perspective. Fanfic. Yeah. Uh, which is a perfectly normal literary practice that is definitely older than a lot of people give it credit for. Like the books of Moses, Fanfic. probably written by a dude who, or a collection of dudes, and they were definitely dudes.
1: Women should <laughs> read and write, Preston God.
0: <laughs> And, you know, just describing things to Moses, there's parts that say Moses was the humblest man that there ever was. It's fun to say Luke at Moses awarding himself as the humblest man because it's in one of the books of Moses. It's written probably decades or centuries later by another dude or several dudes.
1: Uh, you mentioned King David's son and the temple, which I think is a very important point, too.
0: Solomon's temple yeah. is a huge deal. It's a massive undertaking that took seven years to build. And if you were to see the building, you would realize that seven years is way too long to take on building this tiny structure. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen the Mormon temple here in the city, right? Yep. Yeah. So the temple of Solomon was half that size.
1: Wow.
0: And it took them seven and a half years well, to build.
1: <laughs> I mean, it took them 40 years to cross the desert. So right? come on. I'm not surprised.
0: Yeah, Israel does have a, a tendency to take a little longer to do. They drag their heels at this point. And when you read the story, you see that they have a lot of issues with faith. Um, Moses takes up uh, takes off up the mountain, and he's gone for, you know, a little over a month. And in that time, they're like, you know, we're going to go back to worshiping Egyptian gods. We're going to build a new calf out of gold and all this nonsense. Things that really piss Moses off when he comes back down and say, hey, what you up to? <laughs>
1: I was only gone.
0: Yeah. I mean, also disappearing up the hill for a month.
1: I mean, again, 40 years, <laughs> seven years, a month. It's all the same.
0: They kind of track their heels. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we're starting to edge up onto the, just the, the edge of racist. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to try not to do that too much.
1: <laughs> um, so King David's son is... It prophesied, is that the right word? To rebuild the temple?
0: So there is, yeah, the, the son of David, mysterious person, don't know who he is, but he's supposed to be of that royal line. He's supposed to come back, save Israel, and rebuild the temple, or at least be associated with the rebuilding of the temple in some way.
1: So I, this is a really, I've always found this as an interesting fact. So Judaism is waiting for this Messiah, the son of King David, to rebuild the temple, this is this line that Christians believe that Messiah is Jesus and he's already come. So that's yep. that's the that's the line between Judaism and Christianity.
0: I mean, ultimately, yeah, Christianity when it first came about was hardly distinguishable from Judaism apart from apart from believing that this Jesus person is that promised Messiah. The problem is he died without rebuilding or without being as, at all associated with the building of the temple. King Herod had done a lot of work to renovate the temple and make it up to his standards, whatever it was at the time, but Jesus was barely associated with the temple in his day. And so both Jews and Christians are waiting for the coming of the Messiah in the future and the rebuilding of that temple in Jerusalem. Perfect. (laughs) But I think we're just moving a little away from our focus and being as many people are easily distracted by Christians.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to point out that that is that line. Maybe the next thing we should talk about is how this materializes in the in in today's world. So the Torah and the Talmud I am hesitant because I'm scared I'll get it wrong. The Torah is the five books of Moses. Yes. And the Talmud is everything that the rabbis have argued about and the Torah.
0: The Talmud is the writings of some rabbis, because obviously we still have rabbis today who aren't adding to, it. Adding to it. And there's loads of uh, rabbinical writings that aren't included in the Talmud that are ancient and revered. In addition to those, there's also uh, the other parts of the Hebrew Bible often called the Tanakh, which yeah,
1: is the an acronym.
0: The Tanakh is a, a three-letter acronym. Uh, T stands for Torah, the, the law, the books of Moses. The Nevi'im is the prophets. you got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Those are your big ones. And then there's a bunch of minor prophets. And then you've got the Ketuvim, the, the writings. Uh, that includes the wisdom books, the songs, the chronicles, the history that didn't make it into those other two sections. And it's often thought that it's like this book, the Bible, is written by God. I think I've addressed this before. People believe it. I don't understand why you can't open the book and believe that. (laughs) (laughs) They're written by a whole bunch of people. It's a national library. Like if you were to assemble a canon of English literature, you'd have Dickens and Shakespeare. Modernly, you'd probably add Rowling to that.
1: Well, and I mean even... I mean, Shakespeare's even argued that he, there was no way he could have written it all by himself Exactly. so that's probably a
0: really good comparison. You look at Stephen King and how prolific his writings are, many of which are not high quality and it's easy enough to believe that Shakespeare could have written that volume but producing that volume and that well, quality level is either absolute genius or otherwise unbelievable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, you know, whatever, it's Shakespeare. We, we can't say, oh, yeah, it was Francis Bacon. He wrote half of it. But okay, I, I don't really care. If I say Shakespeare's Hamlet, you know what I'm talking about. totally. And so there's the Hebrew Bible is just a national library. You have fiction in the national library. That just makes sense. You've got song books. You've got wisdom literature. You've got sets of proverbs as a subset to that that I think is a nifty thing. The Proverbs are mostly adopted from another nation. And then you've got the prophets, all these people who say, hey, Israel, stop being so terrible. (laughs) And the nation actually kept definitely not all of it in their national library in a volume that was actually preserved as it got translated for the Jews in Alexandria and across the world. It's kind of cool. But to say that it's one cohesive book that should not under any circumstance contradict another part of itself is problematic. And to think that it was all written by God is unsupportable.
1: Well, that's one interesting thing about Judaism that I definitely haven't seen in other religions in my research is that they're encouraged to argue and debate. Like Jewish people are known for that. That being said, there are still, you know, there's, we're going to get into the different types of Judaism and conservative values or orthodox values, where if you differ, they think you're wrong, but there is a huge practice of debating the content of the Torah. And that's where the Talmud comes from, is these debates.
0: Jesus, going back to that easily found distraction, is absolutely the typical pharisaic rabbi he argued all the time and argued about the law with other rabbis (laughs) like there's loads of people who like to say all the pharisees were bad jesus definitely grew up in a pharisaic family (laughs) and everything about his teaching practice and style was absolutely in line with that tradition
1: is that a good segue into the different types sure. of Judaism? Yeah. Is that what we want to tackle next? Let's do it. There's a lot to talk about because there's like the biblical side mm-hmm. and the historical side. And then I'm sure our parishioners, our congregants.
0: You guys are probably more interested in learning how to deal with your neighbors of the various <laughs> types.
1: <laughs> right. And what everyday practices are. And why do they have two fridges?
0: Oh, definitely to keep things separate that aren't supposed to touch or even be stored near each other.
1: So now we're two
0: separate sets of pans.
1: Oh, we'll get there. (laughs) But let's start with there's unlike Christianity. (laughs) There's about three types of Judaism. I mean, a few more, More but you can do break it down into three big groups. Let's the start sort of. Yeah, let's start with Orthodox, because it is definitely the most rural following. This is where the Hasidic tradition falls under. So if you picture a Jewish person from New York, the only place in the world I've ever seen them, or Israel, I guess, would be the other place. Yeah, I think you find a lot there. (laughs) All of them there. Uh, These are the men with the curls and the beards and the big black hats in Israel chanting at the wall.
0: Yeah. So these are the people who are generally, and I feel like within every group, you're going to have some dissidents, but as a reasonably fair generalization, they are super committed to following the law of Moses as it is recorded in the Bible, as well as pretty much every legal judgment from the rabbis since then on how to deal with those laws in the Bible.
1: My, my show notes say, That they believe the law is binding and revealed by God. So they're definitely the strictest of these. uh, Denomination is the wrong word, but denominations.
0: Loose groupings.
1: Loose groupings. (laughs) They, well, we're going to get into their practices later, but they have the strictest dietary practices. They'll have the strictest dress codes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those are sort of for modern practices. They'll some. I want to say they will like something the Sabbath. They
0: they keep the Sabbath holy.
1: Sure, they <laughs> keep the Sabbath. Yeah, they all they all keep the Sabbath holy, but they will take it to
0: a much stricter level. I'm gonna remind our audience that the thing that most of you probably already know: the Jewish Sabbath is Saturday,
1: and that's because God rested on Saturday. He did a whole week of work, and then he got tired, so he put his feet up.
0: He took a chill day, and I can definitely agree with the need (laughs) for that.
1: (laughs) The Sabbath, I mean, like, Christians have their Sunday, and I think Muslims are Friday, Seventh-day Adventists, if you're Christian, are Saturday as well. The Jewish community doesn't do any work on Saturday. In my readings, it's actually considered one of the holiest days, and it happens every week. So imagine having Easter if you're Christian <laughs> or pseudo-Christian um, every week. every week. So they have a big meal. You go to the synagogue, and then they don't do any work on Saturday. And that is that will vary. How they define work will vary from,
0: from Orthodox to
1: conservative to reform.
0: Yeah.
1: So with that being said, the next group is conservative. Um, so but guess, slightly
0: less conservative slightly than the Orthodox. Slightly less
1: conservative than the Orthodox. <laughs> it is, yeah, it's the middle between reform and Orthodoxy. They You might see the men wear yarmulkes more frequently, but they probably won't have the curls or the beards. But they might. They might. But, um,
0: yeah, probably not in many cases.
1: That's all I have for now. It's unconservative. Yeah,
0: they're just kind of the middle ground.
1: Uh, yeah. They're probably, yeah, moderately strict on dress. Yeah, they're kind of, yeah.
0: Lots of wigs.
1: Yes, we will get into that. <laughs> We're going to get into that. And then reform is the, the loosey-goosey of the three. So they might not conform to any of the dietary restrictions at all. They might not do any of the, the dress. They are... This could even be um, some of the examples I saw are like Jerry Seinfeld's Jewish. Like he's probably non practicing, but he grew up in a Jewish household. And how they define and this is another subject we'll get to in a moment, but whether Judaism is a race versus a religion. But you are Jewish if your mother was Jewish. So Jerry Seinfeld's mother was Jewish. And whether so he's ba- Jewish. Yeah. So whether he eats bacon or not, he's Jewish. And so reform can go into that group a little bit as well. I
0: definitely think there's a strong overlap between those two groups.
1: Yeah, or, yes, like me and Christianity, uh, you know, we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate Easter, we never went to church. That's, you know, and then you'll get some who go to church for Passover or Hanukkah or church synagogue for Passover or Hanukkah, and that's kind of it. And Mm -hmm. when their grandma's over, they won't eat pork, but if they're out with friends, they'll put bacon on their burger.
0: So, um, Bacon on their cheeseburger.
1: Bacon on their cheeseburger. No! <laughs> no! That's so bad, Preston. Uh, so those are the three
0: It's, it's easy enough for the, the Reform Jews to not worry so much about those dietary restrictions and a lot of the other cleanliness, purity, ritual cleanliness laws, because the way it's worded in the Torah... It's all about you don't go to the temple unless you are ritually pure. And since the temple has been destroyed for almost 2,000 years, more conservative Jews will ascribe those same limitations to going to the synagogue, whereas reformed Jews typically don't seem to. Um, they just don't worry about it at all because there's th- that reason for following those laws is no longer present.
1: And yes. And I want to point out that reform is actually quite old. It started in the late 1800s during the Enlightenment. So it was a way for or reform came about so that Jewish people could participate more in secular society and be part of the Enlightenment and have some of those ideas. Yeah. dress, and purity are not Not cohesive with holiness or spirituality that those things don't have any um, you can say so you a, can eat bacon and still be a holy person yeah let's talk about some of these practices and rules and observances okay. that we've alluded to and, and the degrees through orthodoxy to reform
0: all right let's start with that shock that you had when I put cheese on that <gasps> bacon burger
1: I distinctly <laughs> remember this from my one religious studies class. And I was very excited to, like, look it up again. Uh-huh. So there is a line in Exodus. There's a line in Exodus 2319. i glad go. you
0: took notes. <laughs> so the, the I line...
1: Oh, I didn't write down the line. Um,
0: <laughs> you will not boil a kid in its mother's milk.
1: Yes, you will not boil a kid in its mother's milk. So that... You might have more recent information, or more refreshed information than I do, but essentially it's that you wouldn't... The kid they're talking about is a goat.
0: Yes, not a human child, but a kid that you're allowed to eat under Jewish law, which does strictly forbid cannibalism.
1: So they... (laughs) Yes, don't (laughs) don't cannibalize (laughs) your neighbors. So that... It would be very hard to do nowadays, I think, because dairy cattle and beef cattle are very, are are separate. But the idea is that you don't know where, necessarily know where your milk came from or where your meat came from. Or if you were, you know, however many thousand years ago, it would have been the same. You yeah. would have milked your goat until it couldn't do it anymore, and then you would have slaughtered it. Just um, reminded
0: me of the horse meat scandal from a couple of years back. <laughs> <I'm not
1: sure. laughs> so the idea is that you don't know where where the milk versus meat came from, or the cheese, or it. I mean, it's, it's meat and dairy that they keep separate, based off of this one small line in Exodus. Other dietary restrictions include they do not eat shellfish,
0: right. If, if it lives in the water, it has to have fins and scales. Both
1: at the same time. Yes, so you can't eat a shark.
0: Right, shark scales are actually lies. They are teeth. Their whole body is coated in teeth. Oh. And sharks are super creepy. I
1: believe that. <laughs> um, that yes, and then no pork whatsoever right. either. No cloven animal. No. Hooved if, they must have cloven yes, hooves. Yes,
0: if it chooses its cud and has a cloven hoof, you're fine.
1: So you can <laughs> eat cows, you can eat goats, and you can't eat horses or pigs.
0: Right. Camels are right off.
1: Oh, no. I love camels. <laughs> um, so those are the big dietary restrictions. And as Preston alluded to, and again, this will change depending on how orthodox to reform you are. Jewish people will have often separate fridges separate cutlery separate plates separate cooking utensils to to obey this law so that they never touch and i remember hearing that if you have had like a milkshake they will wait a certain number of hours before eating
0: yeah. meat yeah a cheesecake right after a steak dinner is a big no-no well, that sounds delicious you, you just gotta you just gotta have a little window of time in between your meal and your dessert
1: so that they never
0: touch yep yeah.
1: The other piece of uh, dietary, I guess, no, I wouldn't call this one a restriction, but is meat has to be kosher. Everything has to be kosher.
0: So the word kosher comes from the word kashrut, which basically is just the dietary law.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> so there you go. Yes. Yeah, so for, they have to eat kosher meat.
0: Yeah. Things that follow those laws. So that, that are follow out. dietary laws.
1: So blood is not
0: kosher. Never.
1: So the big thing with kosher meat is that it has to be slaughtered in a particular way and all the blood drained. And this is actually very similar, if not identical to halal. So halal, the blood There's has to be There's an awful drained. lot
0: of similarities.
1: And I know in halal, the blood needs to be drained as well in a certain way. Yeah. So kosher meat has to be all the blood drained in a specific way. And then it is salted with kosher salt. And, and that is... Essentially, how you make meat kosher. I remember asking a Jewish friend what kosher salt is. And he said, well, it's the salt used to make things kosher. And I was like, cool. But how is that different from table salt or iodine salt or Himalayan pink sea salt? Like <clears throat> what, it, what is actually because I can go buy kosher salt in the, in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. But I can also go buy some regular salt in the grocery store. So what actually makes it different? fun fact it is flakier lighter texture and it has a milder flavor hmm. that i so i don't that really didn't answer the question of what is kosher salt but that's what makes it different from a culinary perspective
0: i now feel the need to look up what the chemical makeup of kosher salt i mean is. i'm pretty sure all
1: salt is n-a-c-l and then oh there's
0: a, a wide variety of salts it does look a lot different from your regular table salt but um, so it does consist mainly of sodium chloride, NaCl, but it also uh, usually includes an anti-caking agent.
1: Interesting. Yeah.
0: So it looks a little bit. That's probably where more you get the powdery. flakier,
1: powdery. Yeah, there you go. So that's I think that's the big portion for the dietary laws and dietary restrictions. I don't think we'll get into holidays right now. Okay. And what? Cause that's the whole thing. But if you're interested, send us an email or DM us on Instagram. If anything we talked about here, because this is really just an overview episode, piques your interest, let us know and we will do a full episode on it. But they're known for latkes at Passover.
0: Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Latkes are Pass. Er, I'm repeating after you now. Ha- latkes are definitely a Hanukkah thing. Why do I keep saying Passover? No? I, said,
1: I just remember coming to your house for lackeys.
0: Yes. So. It was definitely a Hanukkah thing. Hanukkah thing.
1: That's the big one that I can remember. But they just, like any tradition, they have their, their big foods that they eat at different times of the year.
0: Oily foods are definitely a big deal, especially for Hanukkah, but honestly, year round. I mean. <laughs> Just like America. I was just <laughs> reading
1: something about brisket. They like brisket for some celebration. Oh, yeah.
0: That, that chest meat on the cow. Or, mm. I mean, also, the horse has got a decent chest, too. They the eat horse Not kosher. Not, not kosher.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, is. some other observances and practices. I think, I feel like most, I didn't know this until later in life. Mm hmm. I mean, being in Canada, we don't have a huge Jewish population, and worldwide, the Jewish population is quite small. But married Jewish women, and again, Orthodox versus Reform, married Jewish women cover their hair. So again, um, very similar to Islam, and there's a lot of, once we do the Islamic episode, there's a lot of similarities between Judaism and Islam. So married women cover their hair, uh, and that can be with a scarf or a hat. But most often, and this is very interesting to me. Is with a wig, so they just put hair over their hair.
0: Yeah, it's um for that for Canadians in our audience, many of you should be familiar with Schitt's Creek. It's gotten an awful lot of awards, wildly popular, starring the wonderful Eugene Levy and his son Daniel, Jewish, and Catherine O'Hare, and yeah, they're a kind of famously Jewish family, and Catherine O'Hare wears a wig. Almost all the time.
1: Why not? Yeah,
0: in the show. Um, I don't know about real life. Okay. I've
1: never actually seen Shit's Creek, so.
0: It's very funny and it's got a lot of heart. I. And it's over say, now.
1: Yeah. I've <laughs> seen a lot in the news about it because it's over. So yeah. maybe I'll get on that.
0: It, it won a lot of awards and I think they're fairly earned. Yeah, good. And Eugene Levy is just a comedy genius.
1: <laughs> they're a funny family. Yeah. Yes. So Jewish women cover their hair and Jewish men cover their heads as well.
0: But usually just with a buck and some groups with a smaller hat and some groups with a hat that covers your whole head so that God can't see you at all.
1: And, and then <laughs> and then again, sometimes it's every single day and then sometimes it's only for special occasions. Yeah. And special occasion can be the sabbath weekly or it could just be a wedding or a bar mitzvah
0: yeah the the hair covering for women is actually a, a thing that's interesting to me i've worked with a lot more muslim women than i've worked with jewish women and for those really devout muslim women they wear that scarf to cover their hair and the explanation that was given to me was that the hair is just a wonderfully sexy thing which is a hard point to argue i must agree oh thank you and That's clearly not the motivation for women, because if you're just covering your hair with With a wig, that's not getting rid of the the allure, that that visible thing that definitely works on a lot of guys.
1: (laughs) Oh, I had no idea. Um, And then it's also at a different stage. So Mm -hmm. the hijab in Islam, it can be at a specific age or when you start menstruating,
0: and, and then, then for, the rest, of for the rest of
1: your life, and then the only people that see you without it, and this is the same as, as in Judaism, is, is your husband or men on your mother's side. So that can be your brother's or your mom's brother's, so your uncle's, but not your dad's uncle's. Right. Whereas this is like once you get married. So that's, inter- you know, until the day it's- you get married, people see your hair, whether you're... It's a little Eight
0: differences or 38.
1: So. Right. And then the reason for the amica and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think I'm wrong. The reason for the amica is to always be aware of God's presence. It's a physical reminder that God's watching you. Master
0: <laughs> I like to believe that a God that is all knowing knows you masturbate well i mean he can choose what to see if he's all powerful and he, he knows when you're done and he knows when it's safe to look <laughs> <laughs> uh, santa claus on the other hand i mean he sees you when you're sleeping i don't think that god is so indiscreet
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, but. Ignore our tangent. Don't ignore our tangent. Laugh along with us. That is the reason for the Amica. Now, moving on to, I would like to talk a little bit more about the Sabbath because they mentioned there's different. How do they define work? Mm-hmm. So there's
0: an awful lot of argument on that.
1: There's a and and <laughs> I have seen. I think it was in Religulous with what Bill Maher. Bill Maher.
0: Man, I haven't seen that show in so long. I need to rewatch it. We were going to rewatch it in my last semester of my degree, just as part of one of my broad look at religious phenomena things. But thanks to COVID, we had no more classes. And as much as I did enjoy that movie, I did not take the time to go and rewatch it on my own, separate um, from my disappearing classes.
1: I gave it to my dad. I could hook you up with the DVD. <laughs>
0: okay.
1: I believe it is relig religulous. If it's not someone out there is going to correct me, but he goes to a Jewish and obviously an Orthodox Jewish family's home, and they have like Rube Goldberged up their house so that they can open the fridge on a Saturday because in their mind that is considered work. So they have like figured like they will not lift a finger. They, won't, they figured out like you said Rube Goldberged it up so they can answer the phone on a Saturday.
0: Yeah, an awful lot of Orthodox Jews that won't push buttons. Yeah, that's why. Um, I think that's derived from because having anything operated by push buttons is relatively new. Yeah, I'm that was the Old Testament. That the, the button pushing is derived from prohibition against doing up the buttons on your shirt. Oh, interesting. And so you'll see anybody that if you see Jews walking around on a Saturday uh, or Friday evening and. That's usually how they'll get around. They'll make sure that their walking is within the prescribed distance because they can't drive. Yes,
1: that is one. That, <laughs> that will be followed by, I'd say, easily both orthodox and conservative and maybe even some reform.
0: Probably some reform. I think they
1: just want the day off. Like If they, yeah. ha- if they needed milk, yeah. they'd probably be like, okay, I'll go get some milk. But if they could avoid it, yeah. like I'm going to avoid going the They definitely tomorrow. won't go shopping
0: on Saturday. Yeah. Or Friday evening. As much as possible, though. I'm sure that there's plenty of folks who agree that when the ox is in the mire, you got to pull it out. But there's plenty of arguments against that, too. Sometimes it's like, yeah, sign from God, your ox is doomed. You're going to go without milk. <laughs> <laughs> elevators. Those elevators with no doors that just keep moving in the cycle. The idea is terrifying to me. <laughs> but... Uh, if you're used to it, and <laughs> then you can operate them safely.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, so driving, I know answering the phone is a big one as well. Mm-hmm. And I, you know what? On a Saturday, I don't know if I disagree.
0: <laughs> Any day where I don't have to push a button. <laughs> I spend an awful lot of time on my computer and on my phone. My phone has three buttons. <laughs>
1: right. Um, there has been, in some of the articles I was reading a, like a resurgence in the Sabbath. I mean, we're in the 21st century. It's pretty hard to avoid working seven days a week. Everything's open all the time. And so there's been, I was reading that there's been a resurgence of people like taking the Sabbath and just actually enjoying that disconnect time from their phone and from their work and actually stepping away. And I... Don't think that's
0: a bad idea. Yeah, there's still loads of places that have Sabbath day laws where you're not allowed to do business on a Sabbath. Plenty of places in America, that's always Sunday, um, but it's still a thing that's observed. Of course, there's preference given to Christians and not Jews because, yay, separation of church and state didn't work so great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure in the Jewish quarter of New York, everything has got on Saturday. Oh,
0: Absolutely. But it's not enforced by law. It's just the culture has so completely saturated that neighborhood that that's the way it goes. And if that's the way you want to live, that is absolutely a desirable way to have it run. Mm-hmm. What else we got? I
1: mean, we have more things to talk about. I just don't know how to segue to them nicely.
0: Yeah, hey, we just bump onto the next thing if you want.
1: So I got circumcision. Yeah. Which also, which leads into bar mitzvahs.
0: Yeah, it's all part of that law of sacrifice, which weirdly we've only barely brushed up against up to this point. Oh, um, you look like you want to <laughs> dive right into it. It's fascinating to me that there's so much around the perception of these sacrifices that a lot of people think is negative. Like the idea that, oh, no, sacrificing a goat is barbaric. Not at all. Most of the sacrifices that were offered at the temple and the tabernacle before that, they were basically just—I'm going to call them—holy barbecues. Ooh! Like there, there were the odd sacrifices that were an animal is burnt up completely as a gift to God, but most were eaten by the people offering the sacrifices, and more so the priests and their families. So that it was, and these were offered daily. There was a sacrifice every single day.
1: Oh, can we have a holy barbecue this summer?
0: I think we probably should. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so these ho- holy barbecues happened all the time. The flame was never supposed to go out. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you obviously weren't cooking meat at three in the morning, mm-hmm. but that fire had to keep burning. I, a little piece of me suspects that every nation that had a fire that couldn't be permitted to go out had a population that was really bad at starting fires <laughs> can't population say for sure. Katie. <laughs> uh, i can't say for sure that that's the case i mean we've had fire for such a long time we've been good at it as a species for quite a while
1: tens of thousands of years right
0: but a little piece of me wonders you know <laughs> but the, these holy Barbecues mm. were great. They were well attended on a regular basis, and depending on who you talk to, uh, th- there's plenty of suggestion that these priests who were meant to feed their families with these offerings would also share them with the poor. Mm. So, ultimately, these sacrifices are far from barbaric.
1: I really want a barbecue <laughs> now.
0: Right. Uh, and so circumcision, going back to what
1: we started with, here, is, is part of the law of
0: sacrifice. It is part of that shedding of your own blood to bring you closer to God. Now, it's supposed to be just dudes. But for some reason, there are parts of the world who have taken this practice of circumcision, separated it from the religious aspects of Judaism, and have just started doing terrible things to women which I don't understand how it's validated and it makes me uncomfortable too (laughs) female circumcision is never prescribed in the Bible and is a lot more destructive than male circumcision
1: though I have read and in my notes it has to be done eight days after the boy is born. Yes, there's a
0: specific time when Jewish boys are supposed to be circumcised.
1: Adult male circumcision is very destructive. Don't do it later in life.
0: Well, the the trick is, like, how do you know that like, you're not going to have an erection when you're still healing? That's super hard to take care of.
1: Yeah, it's just... if you're circumcised as a baby cool if you weren't cool leave it i was gonna say don't touch it but that's fine leave it
0: can you imagine if wolverine was jewish this would be like a daily well it probably wouldn't have to be daily probably just be once a week kind of deal Mm -hmm. (laughs) having a ability to regrow every lost bit of your body Quickly would be a problem. I've
1: never thought that way about Wolverine. Thanks, Preston. (laughs) But you will now. I'll never not think about that. What is the... Oh, my
0: God. I think this is why people listen to us.
1: (laughs) The reason it is a tradition in the Jewish religion to cut off foreskins is because God asked Abraham to do it and that he would be gifted a great nation. Yeah. And so ever since then we've been chopping off penises. Yeah.
0: To be part of that nation you have to not you're not chopping off penises. You're chopping off <laughs> just a little bit off the end.
1: <laughs> I mean there's you want a little bit chopped off the end of your nose?
0: Not not even a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> the it so it's part of that law of sacrifice that binds the nation together. And was a thing that caused a lot of shame for a lot of Jews, say, 2,000 years ago back in the gymnasiums of Rome, where to be part of that larger imperial community, you had to hang out in these gymnasiums where everybody did so completely naked. And do you ever watch Friends?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Do you remember Joey's fake foreskin?
1: No, I haven't seen. That. I have only seen some episodes of Friends, but so now I need to watch this. There is
0: testament that that was happening 2,000 years ago in in Israel. I mean, I don't know if it's salami, but maybe and it probably was So probably not. Yeah, that's an important point. Pro- <laughs> I was actually just about to say they probably weren't using a pig for a skin, even though it might have worked a out in color. But there was something that was done that allow these people to mask themselves as being not Jews. Because apparently that was the thing they were worried about when going to the gymnasium.
1: Hmm. Well, that was... Pro- I don't actually know. I'm about to say something I don't know frequently. Um, Go for it. We'll that, see where it goes. Was that used as an identifier for the Holocaust? Because you could just it be very like... Well could have been. I feel like it should be all up at Brian. I
0: feel like in the Holocaust... There was definitely some inspection, but I don't think, at least to begin with, many people were being secretive about their Jewish identity. Mm. But later on, I feel like, yeah, there was probably people who were checking just to say, hey, Mm. Um, because most Christians, especially in that area, in that era, probably weren't doing circumcision on a regular basis.
1: I mean, that's basically all my points, unless you want to talk about bar mitzvah. Well, I, we should wrap up with the Holocaust, as depressing as it is, but it should be touched upon and eventually do a full episode
0: sure.
1: on the Holocaust. Do you have anything you want to add about bar mitzvahs with foreskins?
0: <laughs> the bar mitzvahs aren't strictly sure. associated with foreskins. Because <laughs> <No. laughs> uh, your bar mitzvah happens like, it, when you're pubescent. Yeah. You know Your foreskin comes off when you're a week old. And the bar mitzvah happens when you're pubescent. So you've got the opportunity to show to the congregation that you have learned stuff, that you can recite your haftorah and you say, "Uh, yeah, I'm familiar with the law. I know what it means to be a Jewish man or in the case of a bat mitzvah, to be a Jewish woman in this world. And that's the, what's the word I'm looking for? The rite of passage. That's
1: what did I was going to jump <laughs> in with.
0: Perfect. That's the rite of passage in Judaism. That's pretty common in most cultures in the world. There's a rite of passage that makes you an adult. For Kids some, it's... Era, yep. Yeah. Sweet
1: 16, if you're kind of secular. Right. Confirmation, if you're Catholic. Baptism. And baptism can depend whether you do it at birth or, or older, but...
0: Yeah. Hmm. And so sometimes that rite of passage is a walkabout, and sometimes it's a camp with a bunch of other guys and sometimes it's showing that you actually know what it means to be a man in the world which actually makes a lot more sense than a lot of the other rites of passage <laughs>
1: yeah and yeah my last two points are so tetragrammaton which i just like think is super cool
0: it's a cool sounding word and what it stands Impress for your
1: friends it's like the one <laughs> thing i remember and it's no i remember more than that but can i say what tetragrammaton is
0: can you pronounce tet- the what the Tetragrammaton is?
1: No one can. That's why it's so cool.
0: <laughs> There's so much disagreement on how it would be pronounced.
1: <laughs> I, just, I just want to jump right in because it's like the one thing I get really oddly excited about. This is one of those facts you need to take home this week to your families and be like, do you know what Tetragrammaton is? It is from the Hebrew Bible. And... It's the name of God, and the Hebrew language generally doesn't use vowels. Am I correct? Yeah, Um, their
0: alphabet consists entirely of consonants and glottal stops.
1: And those things, people learn and and know how to fill in the blanks. So, there's four letters, tetra, in the Bible, YHWH, and it's the name of God, and we have some guesses on how it is said. The other thing is, is that it was taken out of Bibles because of the law that you don't take the Lord's name in vain. So you can actually.
0: It's kind of true.
1: Kind of true. Well, correct. <laughs> let me finish my thought and then you can come back and correct okay. me. So I have heard that they've taken it out of later versions that whatever, take the Lord's name in vain. If you're just, you're not actually his name, it's just whatever uh-huh. you're dissing God. Which is okay, because that's the title, not his name. Mm -hmm. Uh, The closest pronunciation we have, originally we thought it was Jehovah. Yeah, for a long time,
0: English scholars were committed to Jehovah.
1: And now we think it's closer to Yahweh. So we've probably heard both if you're moderately interested in religion, which I presume you are because you're (laughs) listening to this podcast. So Jehovah, because I was the older one, but now we agree upon air quotes
0: Yahweh. Yahweh is pretty widely used right now, yeah. Um, There's still argument on whether or not that W should have been a V, like it was in earlier English Uh texts, but everybody who is at all concerned with the actual Hebrew alphabet knows that the yod does not make a J sound. (laughs) There you go. The J is a weird detail of Western Europe English,
1: what, so e- even Jehovah would be closer than Jehovah,
0: Jehovah is definitely more car- more correct than Jehovah, but there's some pretty old texts in um you know, in Greek that look like they're saying Jehovah, so there will probably always be a huge disagreement on the pronunciation of the name
1: because we'll never know,
0: and that's. Th- It's nice that Greek uses vowels, and Old Hebrew, we've added vowels since then to that text. So what you said about the word being taken out of the Bible, kind of true. The practice of reading the the Hebrew Bible, you would substitute a different word instead of saying the name of God. Mm. Usually when you see it in print, It'll be replaced with Lord as um, the, the Greek Septuagint, the, the translation of the Hebrew Bible into Greek, straight up did cut the word that was the name of God and replaced it with Kiri, uh, which is Lord, in almost every instance, which is a big... I think it's the reason why the King James Version only says the name of God two or three times, instead replacing it every time with Lord. And the stone edition of the Tanakh that I have replaces it with Hashem, which is just a Hebrew word that means the name, which is perfectly reasonable and lets you know that it wasn't saying Lord, because there's also plenty of times where it straight up uses the Hebrew word for Lord in the Old Test in the Hebrew Bible. So using Hashem avoids an awful lot of ambiguity i guess it's kind of a nifty thing Mm. that's my field out before i started going to school i was actually a translator for biblical texts so it's a field where i've got a little bit of passion and a fair bit of experience
1: (laughs) and that's why i trust you
0: good enough for me (laughs) (laughs) My degree, but actually validates work doesn't mean anything. It's <laughs> the experience I had without any proper education. I mean, I trust you for both reasons. <laughs> Sounds so good.
1: I know you can keep me on the straight and narrow.
0: I try. <laughs>
1: when I spew things I think are true and might not actually be. I do my best. Yeah. I just want you all to know well, what
0: that. you said was mostly true. It was just a little detail. It was requiring a little tweaking. That's all.
1: <laughs> so I'm unfortunately to wrap up this episode we're gonna get a little dark and gloomy um a little
0: more modern history i
1: don't think we can talk about judaism without talking about the holocaust but we're over an hour into recording so i don't so we will do a full episode on the holocaust and anti-semitism and how the the history of anti-semitism which has been around for a long time far far longer than when the holocaust happened so they, um, my research has said it anywhere between 6 and 11 million Jewish people died during the Holocaust. And just recently, like in the last 10 years, their population has finally recovered. So it's back to pre-World War Two levels. It is still the smallest of the Abrahamic religions with about 16 million observant, whereas islam and christianity are in the billions of
0: people. Yeah. There's more mormons according to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints official records oh. than there are Jews according to these estimates. Now, of course, the number of mormons is a lot smaller than reported numbers just because you've got loads of people who
1: on the books joined
0: and, the and then literally never showed up to church again.
1: So the holocaust for lack of a better word, was interesting. Um, Yeah, it was... Because it... Judaism is interesting because there is this sort of blend of is it a race or is it a religion, and the Holocaust definitely affected the Jewish race, which I don't like to say, because because it is very much a religion. But they were
0: targeted because of their race. Because of
1: their race, and... Judaism, again, is unique in the Abrahamic religions because it's not evangelical. They don't actively recruit. It's very hard to join. You can join, and there are Jewish people of all races, but because, like I said, they don't actively recruit, and it's passed down from mother to her children, it kind of forms along racial lines, just like Christianity is predominantly white. And Islam is kind of Arabic and Middle Eastern, and Far Eastern, and North African. They were, I mean, the Holocaust, Hitler and the Nazis were trying to exterminate the Jewish race. So they didn't care if you were Orthodox or Reform. If you had any air quotes, Jewish blood in you. If you
0: weren't part of the master race, you weren't any good, which is super weird to me. Honestly, if you want to create the master race or, yeah, to create a master race, you don't pick an existing race. Every All of the people on this planet suck to one degree or another. Let's be oh, real. <laughs> <laughs> as as groups, we definitely suck. Look at the way we treat each other. Right. But to create a master race, you need to amalgamate all of the best parts of all of the different races. For example, all of the fastest sprinters for as long as I can remember. Kenyan. Kenyan. Or at least in that neighborhood of Africa. So maybe the master race should be at least a little bit darker. We need to be better runners. I say we, that's wildly terrible. (laughs) Because I definitely don't fit into this category of what I've just described as what would be the master race.
1: (laughs) And throw in some Dutch because they're so tall.
0: Sure, yeah.
1: Love that. Those are the those I mean, are two off the top of my head. So they're like, run they're, fast and they're, be tall. So,
0: like, so just Kenyans then. Because they're tall true. too. They tall.
1: So there we go. Kenyans are the master, are the master race. race. Perfect. Done. Uh oh. <laughs> we
0: started in um, I, I hope we haven't um, caused any of our parishioners to um, make plans on genocide. That would be a problem and I claim no credit or responsibility for the actions of other people. Me
1: neither. (laughs) Um, (laughs) See, we laugh through difficult things like the Holocaust. You
0: have to sometimes. Um, Don't laugh about the Holocaust, but find a reason to laugh through the suffering and you're going to be healthier.
1: (laughs) I mean, I don't know how much there is to touch on, uh, especially in this overview episode, sort of the religious aspect of the Holocaust, besides that they were exterminated at a very high rate. I know that there are some lasting effects. Like I said, uh, the population has just recovered. But
0: thanks to the first and second world wars, Israel has a homeland again. uh Thanks to the defeat of the Ottoman Empire in the first world war, uh, England took over Palestine. It was called British Palestine for a while. And then in the 40s, I want to say, I could be wrong, it might have been later, the the queen said this land, or actually, realistically, it totally could have been just the prime minister, but I feel like the queen had to sign off on this, and she's of greater authority, so I like to give her credit. Uh, either way, British Palestine was made into a new nation of Israel, more or less upon the historical boundaries of what we just kind of accept old Israel was, and then... You got Jordan and Lebanon and West Bank. There we go. And so these nations are built up and finally gave Israel a home again, which was nice because they'd been having a pretty hard time there. Um, Since the time of the Crusades, Christians and Muslims have been fighting over that land for a long time. And now they're
1: still fighting. The Israel-Palestine issue might actually be an episode.
0: Yeah, uh, I don't really want to take up our time for this topic with what will definitely be a political discussion. (laughs) I
1: don't don't know what side you're on. (laughs) We better better talk about that one before we go on air. No, I want
0: to surprise you with my opinions on that one. Oh dear. I don't Uh, think you'll be unpleasantly surprised.
1: We may agree on a lot of things. So yes, the nation of Israel was created. One ramification I have heard is that, um, in more Orthodox families, and especially families that, and I mean, it's not like the the Holocaust was that long ago, but families that remember either parents or grandparents going through it, there is a lot of pressure to stay in Judaism.
0: We and died for our faith. Yeah. Don't you dare leave.
1: Yeah, so in, in, yeah. in some cases, bordering on cult-like pressure to stay, obviously, not that's not a generalization. Not all Jewish people are like that, but that is... Um, it's a thing that does it's a thing that happens and and almost understandably so right Mm -hmm. watching your family die and be torn apart over a religion and then someone's like "Eh, i'm not really into it right yeah that that's definitely um some generational trauma that they still have to heal from
0: yeah it's a crappy time in history
1: yeah
0: i mean it's a crappy time in history today too but it's different (laughs) (laughs)
1: uh how can we tie up this episode in a bow we've covered the hebrew bible and stories from it we've covered Um, should we finish
0: with the end oh so one of the things that fascinates me about judaism is the the eschatology the the understanding of the end of the world Mm. the judaism is not monolithic and As we discussed earlier, rabbis argue amongst themselves all the time as part of their religious observance almost, that there's so much discussion and no unanimous accepted conclusion about what is after this life. The Jewish afterlife is ambiguous and cloudy, like we... Nobody really can say with confidence what it is. The Bible in the Old Testament doesn't give clear statements. The the Hebrew Bible talks about the immortality of the soul and a judgment. And uh, there's a hell type place, uh, often called Gehenna, and um, a paradise. And there's, of course, the rebuilding of the temple, which is not actually strictly associated with it, but is kind of connected.
1: Will the temple have to be built before the end of the world? Yes. Okay. So the end of the world won't come into the temples.
0: Right. Okay. That's that's the promise that scattered Israel will be reunited, the temple will will be rebuilt, and Jews and Christians alike celebrate that Israel has its homeland again. Of course, there are exceptions to that celebration, but that is one of those landmarks for the end of the world is this has to happen before that it can and but yeah what's going on in the next life is still a mystery there's plenty of religions who will tell you specifically like this is what your day-to-day agenda is going to be in the next life for many christians it's you're going to sing in a choir forever the end which sounds like, not a thrill, but... I mean,
1: <laughs> y'all haven't heard my singing voice. That would be hell for everyone else around me, unless I get an upgraded set of vocal cords.
0: Right? There are plenty of Jews who subscribe to a reasonably common Greek belief that you, you'll you be a farmer in the next life, and you'll be free to take care of your own self and family for eternity, which That's not bad. sounds kind of cool. I'm okay with that. <laughs> There's... There's no real hard dogma on that, which is kind of cool. So, like, you go ask a rabbi what happens after this life. Most of them are going like, to say, what do you think happens? <laughs> <laughs> Let, give me some fuel so I can argue with the other rabbis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, it's kind of nice that the theology of Judaism is not really terribly expansive and like like I mentioned there's that, a handful of things that are mentioned and there's not a lot of certainty on how they even relate to each other like between paradise and um, Gehenna and judgment there's seems to be a what should be reasonably obvious um, way to interpret that but there's also amb- ambiguity there too and everything else about it is just like, we just don't know. We know there's a good place. We know that there's a bad place. That's it. We don't know what the good is. We don't know what the bad is. It's probably not a tire fire.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's refreshing. Right? I like that. I like when people can admit that they don't know. Yeah. So. As and opposed the, and, and, to
0: the... the catholic tradition which relies heavily on dante's inferno which is i mean it was fiction
1: (laughs) (laughs) we'll get to that Uh, we'll get to that in our next episode so if you want to get in contact with us Send us, if you have things you want to learn, comments, suggestions, even corrections, or hate mail, holywatermelonpod at gmail.com. And we have our Instagram up and running at holywatermelonpod. We will be announcing new episodes and some other really cool social media content on there. So give us a follow
0: and share us with your friends.
1: Oh yeah, five stars, share with your friends. Check us out where, wherever you listen to your podcast,
0: by the late middle ages. Thank you so much for listening. Cool. Peace you be with you. With you.